Chapter Twenty Seven of Household Puzzles by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Seven: Storm and Moonshine. What a horrid evening! Mrs. Monroe said with a shiver, and she drew a little black shawl closer about her shoulders. It rains all the time nowadays. They were all in the little dining room. Mr. Randolph in his easy chair, in dressing gown and slippers feebly trying to look over some accounts, stopping every few minutes to wipe his forehead and his thin hands, for the constant little cough produced a perspiration that was cold and clammy and disagreeable. In some way Mr. Randolph must have relief from that office. In some way he would soon have it. If no other channel opened, the restful grave would come to his aid. Maria felt this, and she chopped her meat for the morning hash, with her face all gathered in a frown. Life was hard to Maria, and she made it harder than she need. Why must she persist in carrying all her burdens for herself? Grace had drawn as near the light as she could, and held in her lap the only brightness that the room contained, some crimson worsteds. They kept a case of fancy articles in the store, and Grace made pretty trifles by instinct she had made the happy discovery that she could help to replenish that case with great advantage to her own purse in short grace was in a fair way to earn her own living and it was only busy practical maria who was working hard and earning nothing so she thought but who will be kind enough to estimate how much those people really earn who spend their lives in skilfully contriving how to save the earnings of other people Ermina, on the other side of the stand, was straining her eyes over black ruffles. There was no let-up to ruffles that she had to prepare for the next day's campaign. They were not always black ruffles, and the light was not always so dim as on this evening. All the gloom had concentrated itself. The Randolph expenses were being narrowed to a low scale. They had actually reached that pitiful point when an extra kerosene lamp, when they were all gathered in one room of an evening, was a luxury not to be thought of. So they sat close and strained their eyes over one. Helen was the only unoccupied person. She had affected to read the morning paper until she pronounced the light no better than a tallow candle. "'I wonder you don't introduce one into your economy,' she said scornfully to Maria, and that young lady answered with a grave face, do you suppose it would be cheaper? Helen vouchsafed no answer, and the silence that seemed to possess them all was renewed. Tom came suddenly in at the side door, letting in with him a gust of wind and rain, and leaving the door open a crack, as men are apt to do, while he rushed through to the kitchen with his dripping umbrella. Helen shivered and drew further into her shawl, and Maria pushed the door to with a bang. "'You always leave doors open after you,' she said a little fretfully, as Tom emerged from his wet overcoat and came back to the dining-room. "'I wanted to give you a taste of outside life, so that you would better appreciate the comforts of your position,' he said cheerily, drawing a chair near his father. Helen sniffed. "'Comforts,' she said sarcastically. "'Why, yes, there is a marked difference between this room and the street.' It rains in torrents, and it is the darkest night I ever saw. Well, I am ready for congratulations. I have found employment at last. 
Maria looked up from her hash with a gleam of satisfaction. Grace said, Oh, good! And Ermina asked with interest, What is it? Before I tell that, I must remind you that I have been for more than three weeks now searching right and left for something to do, and the case was really growing desperate. Mr. Randolph dropped the paper on which he was figuring, and the pencil in his hand trembled as he said nervously, You have not gone back to that saloon, have you, Thompson? No, sir. There was an emphatic ring in Tom's voice. It is a respectable business this time. Only, Maria, if you board me, you will have to give me very prompt breakfasts. I'm to be on hand for the seven o'clock car. In the capacity of driver, I presume. Mrs. Monroe said this for the utmost sarcasm, but Tom's answer was prompt. That's it, exactly. How came you to guess so soon? Why, Tom Randolph, Grace said, looking aghast. Nonsense, said Maria. You'll believe anything, Grace. Do tell us, Tom, what you have to do with the seven o'clock car. Drive the horses attached to it, Tom said gravely. Helen has guessed rightly. I am tired of idleness. Any work is better than that. And this is honest and decent. Up to this time Mrs. Monroe had not fully taken his meaning. The magnitude of his crime seemed too great for her mind to compass. She sat looking at him with absolute disgust in her face, and her voice was actually tremulous as she said, "'Tom Randolph, I should think you had disgraced your father sufficiently. I don't know what he has done that he should be so utterly disappointed and disgraced in his son. I hope this will not break him down utterly.' "'Helen?' Mr. Randolph's voice had that peculiar ring in it that they as children had heard but a few times in their lives. Helen, I am proud of him. I am glad when I see anyone sufficiently independent to rise above foolish grades and distinctions. So far am I from being disgraced, I think I never was so sure of a successful future for my son as I am at this moment. Moral courage is something that I never had very much of, but it is something that I admire and respect. "'There is no accounting for people's tastes,' Helen said coldly, even haughtily. Then she took up her paper and professed to read. Some way no one liked to express an opinion after that, and the sewing and chopping went on quietly. Tom left them to look after kindlings for the morning fire. Ermina sewed to the end of her ruffle, and looked wearily over at the pile on the lounge, waiting to be sewed. Should she, or should she not, try to do more that evening? She was not obliged to sew in the evenings, but they were hurried. They always are hurried in dressmaking establishments. There never seems to come a time when the world is clothed, and it expedited matters so much in the next day's rush to have yards and yards of work turned down and basted but Ermina was unusually tired this evening, body and heart. She pushed her chair back a little from the light, and shaded her weary eyes with her hand. Life looked unutterably dreary to her, the rain pelting unceasingly against the window, and the wind howling around the keyhole, served to deepen her sense of gloom. Through her fingers she could get peeps of her father's face, and she felt not exactly shocked at its pallor, the sight had grown too common to come as a shock, but it hurt her with a new pain. 
How feeble he looked, and how puzzled he seemed over the miserable figures! What a daily perplexity life must be to him, instead of having the rest and peace about it that a man of his years needed! The miserable lamp that smoked a little, as kerosene lamps frequently do, added to the general sense of discomfort and discouragement which possessed her. They were even too poor to have gaslight. They were growing poorer. She worked hard at her new business and carefully saved her earnings, yet there seemed to be less to live on than there used. There was less. Mr. Randolph's weakness and feebleness had grown upon him to such an extent that he had relinquished of necessity one duty after another, and, of course, his salary had grown proportionately smaller, and the family were coming to know that it really was only by courtesy that his place was kept at all. There was certainly enough to justify a feeling of apprehension as to the future, yet Ermina had of late been able to lift herself somewhat above it all, to trust her life and the lives of her kindred in the father's hand. Tonight, though, it was nearer despair than trust. She felt utterly cast down and forsaken, as if there were no brightness anywhere. Those ruffles over on the lounge waiting for her seemed like so many imps of darkness ready to sting her. She hated them, and the life stretching drearily out before her, filled with ruffles to hem and gather and plait, looked unutterably horrible. I want you to understand that I don't justify Ermina for being in this state of mind. Of course it was unreasonable and silly. It was no more right than it was for you to be cross all the morning because the steak was tough and the coffee cold when you came to breakfast. I have no doubt it was unchristian. So are one-eighth of the things that you have said and done today. But I insist that it was very human, and Ermina was an intensely human girl, with like passions and failings with yourself. Whether she hadn't a very little more to try her than you have had today, judge ye. The doorbell pealing through the house startled the family with the sudden sense of a something breaking rudely in on their quiet, which people feel when they have allowed themselves to sink into the depths of gloomy reverie. Helen dropped the paper with an exclamation. Who on earth can be coming here in such a storm? It must be urgent business. Tom, who had been heard banging about the upper hall, now came down to answer the bell. They heard him show someone into the parlor. Then he came to the dining-room door and put his head in. A messenger for you, Ermina. Then he vanished. Someone about those dreadful dresses, Ermina said with a sigh. They would come to look after their ruffles if it rained icicles. Don't keep the poor victim long, whoever it is, or he will freeze. This was Maria's parting sentence. The dimmest of smoking lamps served to make the darkness of the little parlor visible. The stove had not even been set up yet. It was not late in the season, and people would not expect you to have a fire when there was no stove in which to make it. By dint of close looking, Ermina discovered a shadow in the dimness. It was tall and wore an overcoat. She went toward it with dignity, wondering at its errand. There was no mistaking the sudden light in her eyes as she neared it, and it spoke, though it said simply, "'Good evening, Miss Ermina.' She knew the voice, and there was pleasure mingling with the surprise with which she said, "'Mr. Harper!' "'Now you are wondering why I came out in the storm,' 
he said, when they were comfortably seated. I see the wonderment in your eyes, and I am not surprised at it. I confess to you that it doesn't look like a sane proceeding. But I had a reason, and it can be explained in a very few words. I wanted to see you. That is remarkable, Ermina said with a little laugh. I didn't know anyone was ever in that state. Did you not? he said earnestly. It is becoming a chronic state with me. I have been thinking about it nearly all this day, thinking about it and praying over it, and to-night I have braved the storm, resolved to tell you the whole story. A dozen times they wondered in the dining-room who could be keeping Ermina so. Then, as Tom did not appear again, they gave over wondering and went their several ways. Helen had been asleep when Ermina, who shared her room, pushed open the door and brought her dim little lamp into the darkness. She set it softly down and went to the window. The rain had ceased, and dozens of stars were twinkling. Helen popped up her head from among the pillows. "'Where in the world have you been?' she asked in wonderment. "'I've been nowhere,' Ermina answered with shining eyes. "'What a change there is in the weather!' Do you know, Helen, the stars are shining, and it looks as though it would never rain again. Who wanted you? asked Helen, ignoring the stars. And whoever it was, why didn't they spend the night? Why, it isn't but a few minutes. A few minutes? It was nearly ten o'clock when I came upstairs. It must be eleven now. Oh, no, Ermina said quickly. It couldn't be. Well, who was it? Thus pressed, Ermina's reluctant tongue succeeded in forming the words, Mr. Harper. Helen echoed them. Mr. Harper? What in the name of common sense did he want? Couldn't he have chosen a lovelier night for his errand? He is not afraid of the rain, Ermina said evasively. I should think not, nor of cold, nor of you, either. It is a wonder you did not freeze. His errand must have been very pressing. What did he want? I declare if there isn't the moon, Ermina said eagerly. I didn't know it rose so late. I believe I had forgotten that there was one. Oh, how beautiful it is! Mrs. Helen Monroe raised herself on one elbow and spoke impatiently. Ermina Randolph, I have asked you three times what Mr. Harper wanted. If you intend to tell me, I wish you would let the stars and the moon alone and do so. Ermina dropped the curtain and went over to the glass and began to take the pins out of her hair. Her cheeks were very glowing. He wanted me, she said slowly, almost reverently. Mrs. Monroe sat up straight and looked at her. You, she repeated, intense amazement in her voice. What do you mean? I mean that, with all that it implies. I do not wonder that you are astonished. You cannot be so much as I was. To think that God had that waiting for me, coming to me all the while. And only this very evening I felt that my life was desolate. I have been a very untrustful child, Helen. I wonder that he has had patience with me. Mrs. Monroe fixed the pillows under her head and lay down without another word. The lamp had been out for an hour, and Ermina had been turning herself over in the bed for nearly that length of time when her sister made her first comment on the evening's revelation. 
Well, I think he took a very rainy night for it. End of chapter 27